This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 8.15, you're tuned to WGNS on this Monday morning, today the 4th of October, and our guest today, Dr. Dan Rudd, who is in studio, and we'll be talking about a number of issues, including COVID-19, and if you have any questions, you can call or text us those questions, either one, 615-893-1450. Well, Dr. Rudd, how are you this morning? Doing well, Scott. How are you doing? I am good. So what is the latest that you're hearing in the medical community about COVID-19? Well, COVID-19 never sleeps and there's always news. So, you know, one of the things that I think is important to realize is that kind of do an update on where we are with the, the disease. And, you know, we're in what is called now our fourth wave. Um, we've got in the U.S. about little over 700,000 deaths had that had been attributed to it in Tennessee about 15,000 there's a lot of controversy that about exactly the way that deaths are counted and I think that um, you know probably it's going to be a little lower than that but it's still serious Uh, we're seeing the um, Delta variant uh, become the primary variant that we're seeing in in the US now and uh, um, it's uh, something that's more contagious it's less virulent we see less disease serious disease with the delta variant than we did with the what's called ancestral variant which was the first one so when you say seeing less disease with the delta variant what what do you mean by that i mean are we looking at those who have uh, other issues who we heard about in the past like diabetes or whatever it may be underlying health conditions who died because of covid are we not seeing that as much with the delta variant or more we're seeing more people catch the disease but less people hospitalized and dying um it's it's something that is expected as a virus evolves and you have these variants that uh, are trying to um stay pertinent stay active the, a lot of their primary disease function diminishes with with time even though they become endemic in the population they become embedded in the population again with us this morning dr dan rudd talking about covid19 right here in tennessee and throughout the community you know when it comes to those who die who, who have covid19 Sometimes you hear family members saying, well, you know, I know they didn't die because of COVID. It was because they had cancer or they had leukemia or they had whatever underlying condition it may be. But it was, I guess, the COVID that ultimately, you know, did them in. Well, it's hard to tell that for sure. You know, if you have COVID and die, you count as a COVID death. No matter what. No matter what. And so, you know, if you have COVID and get shot, Mm it's a COVID death. Really? And uh, in fact, it was exposed this last week in Colorado that if uh, someone dies from a homicide or a motor vehicle accident, they automatically are counted as a COVID death. So is that death going to be counted in more than one category then? No. 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 They go into a COVID death. 
So no matter what, 10 years, 20 years from now, when we look back at statistics and say, all right, in Tennessee, X amount of people died from COVID, whereas in reality, that reality could be, well, you had 200 people murdered in Tennessee over that two-year period. Right. But you're not going to know that. You're right. And it's because of politics and money, the way things are counted. And it's just know, not right. I, I tell you. You can put that in your It Bugs Me segment one day. Well, yeah. I mean, this is going to really do a lot of, I think, damage for history and historical facts years down the road, especially when you talk about those who die of, of right-out murder versus dying of COVID-19. Exactly. And, and what we're seeing, too, is there are a lot of things going on at the same time. You know, COVID has been around now, going on a couple of years. Uh, the effect of what used to be called imminent herd immunity or a community-acquired immunity is there. We don't know how much of that's playing into it. Right now, we know that um, vaccinations alone in Tennessee, 65% of people in Tennessee have received at least one dose of the vaccine. About 52 or 3% have received two doses. We know the vaccines vary in how well they work. We know that, you know, some people get uh, vaccinated and, uh, you know, and it, it seems to produce better antibody response. But we also know that antibodies are, are only part of the story. There are T cells and, you know, it gets a little complicated and I don't want to make it into a medical lecture, but basically you have the B cells that are white cells that make antibodies and the T cells that are involved in helping to kill cells and also helping the B cells to make antibodies. So it's, it's a very complex sort of thing. You know, you bring up T cells and it seems to me that Back in the, I don't know, late 80s, early 90s, we heard a lot about T-cells whenever HIV and AIDS started to become, to become more well-known. Is this the same T-cell count that doctors are looking at? Exactly. You know, there are uh, CD4 cells, which are T-cells that are helper, helper cells. Those helper cells uh, basically are required to fight immunity. HIV kills the CD4 cells kills them so you have none and that's not consistent with life we you get infections and you die and so you know we've fortunately had a lot of experience in um, since the 80s since 1980 or so in developing treatments and we've got very good treatments now for HIV we don't have a vaccine because it's a very different virus very hard to make a vaccine for they're trying but there is no vaccine for HIV that works. Um, you know, we've been very fortunate in that the coronavirus epidemic uh, with SARS-CoV-2 is a virus that we can make uh, vaccines for, and, and they work well. Uh, the side effects of the vaccines are very low. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion now about, you know, who should have it, if there should be a mandate, you know, what the role of that is, and, and that's going to play out over time. But right now, I think it's, it's pretty clear that the vaccines are safe. The vaccines do work. They cut down the risk of an infection. They cut down the risk of a severe infection. They cut down the risk of death. Uh, but at the same time, 
there are people who don't want to get the vaccines. And, and I think that in the last couple of weeks, we've had some pretty good evidence out of Israel that a primary disease in a person creates an immunity that's better, probably quite a bit better than the vaccine. And so we also know from the Israeli study that if you've had the disease and you get the vaccine, you're more than two times as likely to have a severe reaction to the vaccine. So you're better off if you've, I mean, in my view, and reading everything that I can, if you've had a clear case of the disease, to stay away from the vaccine. Okay, so yeah. if you've had COVID-19, you got over it, and you go to get that vaccination, it's going to be, I don't, I don't know about more detrimental to your health, but it could cause, I guess, more issues. Than well, you, you could have, you have an increased risk of side effects to the vaccine. Okay. And no evidence of significant effect on immunity over having had the disease. The disease itself creates immunity. Uh, and it's in the 94 to 95% range, very high. Um, you know, you're going to have, and, and we face the decision as we move forward, should we vaccinate children? I think that we're going to see the government push for that. I've already heard Tony Fauci claiming that it's great. You know, I, I think the vaccine is safe for children, but the disease is not dangerous either. And for children to get the, vac the vaccine over the disease, I'm not really sure that that's what I would do. I think that's something that each parent ought to have the right to decide. But I feel like that adults should be vaccinated. Now, let's say somebody listening had COVID-19, they recovered from it, then a month later they go out and get that first vaccination and you know their upcoming vaccination let's say 22 days later they're scheduling that but now based on new information it sounds like maybe they shouldn't get that second vaccination if they got the first one let's say they they didn't have a lot of adverse reaction other than maybe just feeling extremely tired the next day which we heard a lot of but it sounds like now maybe they shouldn't get that second one if they've already had COVID-19. That's what the Israeli studies would, would suggest. You know, it's interesting how much new information comes about day after day, minute by minute. Well, one of the things that is going on with um, COVID-19 is the number of people that we have that have been sick have allowed many, many studies to be done. You know, a lot of diseases we have, like, say, Ebola, there's not enough people sick to do very many studies. I mean, so the options for discovering new treatments, other things, really aren't there because there just isn't the supply of patients. With COVID-19, we've had millions of patients. And so many, many things have been able to be studied. We got a text. Somebody said, can you clear up the confusion in regards to your question about T-cells towards the uh, right when you went on the air, I guess. And, and I was saying, well, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, we heard a lot about T-cell count because of HIV and AIDS. Right. And now we're hearing a lot about T-cell count again because of COVID-19. And it's just interesting to me, I guess, how certain medical 
terminology becomes well known over the years because of a disease, a virus, whatever it may be. And I was just saying it's interesting that we're seeing that T-cell, you know, that terminology T-cell again come up in the community throughout the news just like we did. Well, there, it, it's really interesting because it basically shows the importance of T-cells. T-cells are a type of lymphocyte, um, a white blood cell. B-cells are another type of lymphocyte, a white blood cell. T-cells have T-helper cells, CD4 cells, and CD8 cells, killer cells. They're both very important in fighting infection and keeping us healthy. And so the HIV virus is very different from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The HIV virus infects and kills the CD4 cells, the helper cells, T cells. And so if somebody has an infection of some sort, their white blood cell count is going to be elevated. It's going to be higher than normal, right? No, not necessarily. Uh, you know, it's something that the what happens to the absolute number of white cells is, is variable. A lot of times with bacterial infections, especially with a bacteria will in the way it works in the immune system will, will cause a surge in white cells and they'll go up. But many times people have impaired systems or even viruses are known to depress white cell counts. It's not the number of white cells, it's the ones and what they're doing that's important. Now, if you live in a household with kids, which would be, I don't know, 50 or percent or more of the population in Rutherford County, I'm sure, um, and you have had COVID, you've gotten over COVID, and it's been a month or so, the next thing you know, one of your children gets COVID. Are you pretty safe in not getting COVID if you've already had it at that point? No, you can definitely catch it again. Okay, there's no doubt about it. You can catch it. But if you catch it again, you're less likely to have as much trouble with it. Because you've had it before. Right. And you've got an immune system that's geared up. You've got your T cells there to help the B cells to pump the antibodies out. It's going to clear. And so you're really fairly safe. As you get into the higher risk groups, you know, the people with... uh, uh, diabetes, obesity, uh, other chronic immune disorders, cancers. People in that condition are at higher risk. And y- how your immune system functions is different. And it makes it, you know, in catching SARS-CoV-2 and getting COVID disease, you know, the first part is the viral illness. That's, you know, that's when you get sick with the fever and the headache and you lose your taste and smell and all of that. Then a few days later starts the immune illness. It's almost the second disease. And that's the one not everyone gets. A lot of people stay in the viral part, never go on to the immune part. The immune part is the dangerous part. It's been the one that leads to really serious problems, hospitalization, and death. So the aftermath, you know, once you, I guess, clear your body clears itself of COVID-19, you start to feel better. Are most people able to look back and say, well, you know, I was a lot sicker than my friends were when I got COVID-19, so I probably had, you know, this in-depth of 
the coronavirus compared to somebody else who didn't have it? Well, you can't really gauge it that way because it's like with flu, with influenza in the past. You know, you can have a very mild case. You can have a very severe case. Uh, chances of dying from flu as a young person are very small. Uh, and it may be that the thing that determines whether it's mild or severe is the size of what's called the inoculum. How much virus you get when you get infected. Do you get a bucket full, a cup full, a spoonful? You know, the relative amount may be the deciding factor in the intensity of the viral part of the illness. So going back to this study out of Israel, and by the way, medicine in Israel, they're pretty high tech, aren't they? Very high tech, yeah. So studies from there are probably pretty good, pretty accurate. Well, they're very good. I think that it's hard to generalize everything to everyone, but I think as a guideline, it's a good indicator. So this new study coming out of Israel basically shows that if you've had COVID-19, there's probably not a need for you to go out there and get vaccinated because you've got, your body has built up what it takes to, to fight it off better than somebody who hasn't had it before. But the question is, two years down the road, you know, three years down the road, at what point should you say, well, maybe I should get vaccinated now that I've been three years without it? Well, that's a hard question. I think we have to kind of see what unravels in the next three to five years. The virus is going to become endemic. It's going to become in the population. We're going to be facing it for probably several years, maybe a long, long time. The vaccine companies, when they go to work every day, they make vaccines. And they're going to sell them. And they're going to be vaccines available in the future. And they'll come out. I've heard, you know, Dr. Fauci even talking about every five months. I think that's, I, I personally don't see that as being needed. But that's what they're talking about. And, you know, one of the problems with natural immunity, immunity versus um, the vaccine immunity if you've had the vaccine, you can prove you've had the vaccine. If you have COVID, it's hard to prove you've had COVID because your antibody levels might be pretty low and you may have a stronger T-cell response and we don't have a great way to measure that. So to go and say, I want a test done to show I've had COVID, we don't have a good one. It's not very accurate. And so... You, you can't document it and put it on a card and say, you've had COVID. Dr. Dan Rudd in studio with us this morning. And again, the new study out of Israel shows that if you've had COVID-19, then your body is going to be pretty good at fighting off COVID-19. In other words, it sounds like Israeli government saying you don't need that vaccination. If you've had it, your body is going to be prepared to fight it off. But if our government here in the U.S. starts mandating that people have to get vaccinated, is this going to lead to more deaths? Uh, I don't think deaths. I think that, you know, the vaccine in people who have had COVID indicates that they simply have maybe a more severe reaction to the vaccine. The, there's not an indication that it really kills people. You know, you can hear anything on the Internet. And so... I think a lot of that is misinformation. 
but you can definitely have a more severe reaction to the vaccine. I don't, but I don't think that it will be an increase in deaths. I think one of the things that's getting ready to come out now, and that's really pretty exciting, there are other uh, dr drug treatments that are going to be available. We've already got the immunoglobulin therapy that has been called the infusion that President Trump got, the Regeneron product. Now there are other companies making that. That's a very good treatment for people who get COVID. Um, if you're at higher risk, that's very helpful. The other is there's an oral agent, um, a pill you can take that's going to be uh, released very soon um, and called uh, Manupavir. And it is, it's interesting. It's, a, it's got a, an interesting history. It was actually developed at Emory University um, a few years ago and with the idea that it might be useful for influenza, Ebola, uh, some other viral infections, but you know it it didn't really have the push to get uh, approved for anything, and so it's been on the shelf. And as COVID developed over the last couple of years, uh, actually President Trump insisted on having that pulled out to test to go to work to test it, and now it's been shown to be uh, uh, very effective in cutting hospitalizations and deaths. And so how we'll be using that, I don't know, but it's going to be released by Merck in the next, um, I guess, the next two or three months. But it, it's coming very soon, and uh, I think that's exciting. And there's several other antivirals that, uh, that we'll see on the, on the market soon. Again, Dr. Dan Rudd in studio with us this morning. And if you have a question, you can call or text it to us, either one, 615-893-1450. Let's go ahead and get this phone call real quick, then we'll get a text after that. Good morning. You're on the air with Dr. Rudd. Uh, good morning. It's good to hear Dr. Rudd again. I always enjoy what he has to say. He seems so wise. My question uh, has to do with the hospitals and intensive care units and uh, how are they going to protect the patients that need, you know, regular surgery or heart attack patients? Uh, how are they going to do that when the, the intensive care units are becoming so overflowing with COVID patients that hadn't been vaccinated? And that's a good question. I think that uh, we're going to see uh, better testing to identify people who have had COVID. That's going to help. Uh, but one of the big problems now is really the uh, uh, staffing of hospitals, the, the, which is related but, but different. You know, there's uh, the mandates that many hospital systems have to require healthcare workers to be vaccinated. And there's a pushback. There are a lot of people who say they don't want to be vaccinated. And so that's cutting the availability of nursing and respiratory therapists and, and physician coverage, too. And so, you know, we're, we're going to have problems with that. And hospital um, bed availability is based on the equilibrium of what we normally need for hospitals. It costs a lot of money to make a hospital bed, especially an ICU bed, available. And we basically develop those numbers based on what we normally have in the environment, you know, how, how much we need. If Murfreesboro needs 100 beds or 500 beds and 100 ICU beds, that's kind of what we maintain. 
But with the surge that we've seen with COVID, that's doubled or, you know, sometimes even gone up just by 20 or 30 percent. And that's enough to make a shortage. And it sounds like we're probably going to hear, I mean, this whole thing is definitely not over. Not only the virus, that's not over, but also the talk about what to do as far as do I get vaccinated? Do I not get vaccinated? Um, does the government press forward with mandating that folks get vaccinated? I mean, there is so much that has yet to come that is going to be right around the corner, no doubt. Um, so I guess it leaves us to wonder, well, do I need to do more research myself for my personal own well-being? Do I need to read into this study from Israel about not getting vaccinated if you've already had COVID-19. I mean, this puts really studying and thinking about your next step on what to do about your own health. It puts it right there in front of you to, to really mandate that you do do that. I think it's important to make sure people have the right to make that decision. Um, I don't think the government has, um, at least in the past, in a free America, the government did not have the right to do that. And you could always choose, you know, to wear a seatbelt. I think most of us do. I think it, you know, we realize it's, it decreases our risk of injury and death in a car accident. And with the vaccine, I think it, it's also important to weigh your risk. But it's good to know the facts about if you've had COVID, how does that impact your need to have the vaccine? Definitely. Again, Dr. Rudd in studio with us this morning. Time right now is 840. We have quite a few text messages to get to, and we will get to all of those when we come back from this short break. And again, our number 615-893-1450. Time right now, 840 on this Monday morning. Again, today, the 4th of October. Again, Dr. Dan Rudd in studio with us talking about COVID-19. We will be right back. This is Amanda from Animal City. Don't let dangerous pests see your pet as a target. Stop into Animal City and get some flea and tick prevention. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. We have a wide variety of products for small pets and their people and the critters themselves to add to your family. Come see us at Animal City and check out our small animal department. We have lots of small furry critters. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Family Restaurants. Do you know somebody who has moved far away and is missing eating at Demas's? Well, Demas's Family Restaurants now offers many of our sauces and some of our food, such as pot roast and soup, to be shipped all across the nation. It's very simple. You just go to DemasFamilyKitchen.com and you can send an order to anybody as a gift all across this nation. You can send an order to anybody Go to DemasFamilyKitchen.com. Hi, this is Becky Bookner, and I'm just so proud to talk about the veterans in our community and what an incredible gift they've given all of us, and that's our freedom and the right to live in this country, and we're so grateful to them for the sacrifices they've made. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system, reducing microorganisms including bacteria, viruses, and allergens. Call Precision Air, 615-930-0088. That's 615-930-0088. 
We're talking with Glenn King, a World War II veteran. I dropped out of high school and joined the Marines. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. When I came back to the States, I was stationed in the Marine barracks in Washington, D.C. We were assigned to the White House, and we did a lot of traveling with President Truman. Did you have interactions with President Truman back then? Yes. When President Roosevelt was president, he found out that there was a CCC camp 80 miles west of Washington. You said the CCC. What is that? Civilian Conservation Corps. It was on top of a mountain in Thurmont, Maryland. He commandeered the CCC camp for his rest camp, and Roosevelt named it Shangri-La. President Truman had the presidential party up there. We all would eat uh, three meals a day in the CCC mess hall. In the mess hall down the middle was a great big curtain. President's party was on one side, and the Marine detachment was on the other side. And every once in a while, President Truman would come and swing that curtain back, sit down and talk to us. And what he would say is, son, what state are you from? When they mentioned the state, oh, I know your senator real well, real well. When President Truman took the reins, he renamed what Roosevelt called Camp Shangri-La. The new name was Camp David. This has been a salute to veterans. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One MiddleTennessee.com. Locally and veteran owned. Folks, I hope you listen in every Sunday night at 8 o'clock to the Edwin Lee Raymer Show. We'll talk about some local politics, national politics, all types of topics, all types of guests. That's 8 o'clock Sunday night, Edwin Lee Raymer Show. Talk to you then. Old friends, new name, better together, as First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Dan Rudd is our guest in studio this morning, and we're talking about COVID-19. We have tons of text messages here. Uh, the first one that we had was a uh, person said, I am still concerned that there are fetal tissue from abortions in the vaccination. So can you clear that one up? Yes, that's absolutely incorrect. And there, there are tons there, of false things. Out yeah, here. there are. I'm, you know, there are no fetal products in the vaccine and another question uh, it says thank you dr rudd for your service in our community is there a conflict between the third covid shot and the regular flu shot and a timeline that we should be wary of that's a good question but it's been shown in at least a couple of studies that i've read that there's absolutely no conflict you can receive the third shot and the flu shot at the same visit 
Now, what about the first COVID vaccination and the flu shot? Because I know some doctor's offices are saying, well, let me go ahead and give you your flu shot while you're here getting your COVID vaccination. Well, initially, we didn't have any experience with it. And so there was um, a question of whether or not there might be some potentiation of a reaction. The evidence is there is not. And in fact, they're developing the COVID shot with the flu shot to give maybe next year. So there is no reason you can't take them both at the same time. Again, Dr. Dan Rudd in studio with us this morning. We're talking about COVID-19. Another question is, uh, why are the drugs like, and you're going to have to help me out with these names, hydroxyquine? Hydroxychloroquine. And then the other one is the urban... Uh, yeah, the ivermectin. Ivermectin. Okay, why, it says, uh, are these available to the general public, and are any of these available in the Murfreesboro area? And I guess my first question is, what are these drugs? Well... There are two drugs that have been um, available for decades. Hydroxychloroquine is, uh, has been used uh, millions of times. It's used primarily for immune system disorders like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, um, and similar illnesses. It uh, is a very s- safe drug. Uh, the safety profile on it is very good. It's listed by the WHO as... Um, one of the, uh, I think it's listed as a complementary medicine, not as a most essential medicine, but it's, it's well-reviewed. Um, it was initially popularized by President Trump when he thought that it was going to be more efficacious than it's turned out to be. Um, you know, there's been some debate about is it good prophylactically? Is it good for treatment? Um, we have better choices. And so, you know, right now, uh, I, I think that uh, it's not really the, the right thing to use. It is available. It is safe. Uh, but it's hard to find a, a prescriber who will provide this to you for COVID. Ivermectin is another drug that has been available for a long time. Uh, it's used typically for uh, mites and scabies. Um, it's used also in animals for other things uh it it has a um an effect that is seems to be an antiviral effect and it's called a zinc ionophore which basically uh helps the cell membrane open up and allow zinc in to the cell and zinc is toxic to uh, SARS-CoV-2 and many viruses Zinc is a very potent antiviral, and to have a, an adequate zinc level is a very good thing. Um, so, you know, the ivermectin does have value. It probably helps to decrease the risk of getting the disease. It may help to decrease the severity of it. But again, we have a lot of other options. And, you know, if, if people will maximize the use of the vaccine... I mean, the vaccine is, is a great vaccine. It, it's very helpful. Um, the uh, immunoglobulin therapies, very helpful. They're great. They, if you get COVID, even if you've been vaccinated or not, and you get COVID and you're in a high-risk group, the immunoglobulin therapy is there and should be utilized a lot more than it is. It's, it's available, and it decreases your risk substantially of ending up in the hospital 
these new oral agents are going to be very effective. How we'll be able to use them, I don't know yet, because you know we haven't seen what the FDA is going to approve yet. But hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are safe, but they're just not the best things available. This next question here says, I had COVID-19. My doctor prescribed me aspirin, vitamins, and a Z-pack. Does that make sense? It, it's what was done many, many times. Um, the Z-pack, we now know, really doesn't do anything in, in COVID-19. Uh, the idea I think some providers have had is to decrease the risk of a secondary bacterial infection. But in the initial part of COVID, it's a viral illness. It's not a bacterial illness. And SARS-CoV-2 does not react to azithromycin, which is what's in a Z-pack. And so there's really no medical reason to give azithromycin to someone with COVID. What is the best medicine for somebody with COVID? I mean, is there something out there to take why you're going through that battle of COVID? I think that you look at the person individually and not globally. What, our, what I think our government's doing is wanting us to look at everybody as the same. I think it, you have to look at an individual, just like we've always done in medicine. Look at people individually as patients. What are their risks? You know, Do they have co- cor- comorbid conditions that increase their risk? Are they, um, do they have immune diseases? Do they have other problems? If they're at low risk and young, I think treating with basic uh, Tylenol, ibuprofen, um, having adequate vitamin D, C, and zinc levels is good. I think that knowing what your vitamin D level is, is part of, it's like knowing your cholesterol level or your blood sugar. Vitamin D is a very important uh, chemical. It's really more than a vitamin. It's more like a hormone. And it's used, I mean, it, it fights cancer. It works against infections. It, it helps with all kinds of intracellular processes. So vitamin D is something you ought to check and you ought to maintain a, a normal level, which ought to be in the 50 to 70 range when you get your report back. That's what you're looking at. So it sounds like if you're a child who gets COVID-19, it sounds like the best thing would be just regular vitamins each day, uh, as long as they don't have any underlying health issues that you know about, of course. All right. But just vitamins are the most important thing to fight through this, because it sounds like the Z-Pack, for the most part, won't do anything. It just gives a child more medicine to take. Right. I mean, I don't think the Z-Pack does anything. I think that having a a normal nutritional status, I think now it's also different if your child has an illness. Of course, if your child has an immune disorder or a cancer, that's a whole different problem. And those kids need to be vaccinated. So that's why we should look at people as individuals, not as a whole and say, this is what we have to do as a, you know, blanket across the country. That's right. And I think, one of the things is physicians have to be educated, and that takes time. And especially in an environment where the treatments are rolling out almost every month, we have a new thing to do. It's, it's hard for many busy providers to keep up to date. And one of the things that I believe is underutilized is the infusion of immunoglobulins. 
the antibodies that we can give. It's like a passive vaccination. It's a very effective tool, very helpful for people who are at a little higher risk. Um, and, and we saw with President Trump, when he received it, I mean, it was like night and day. He just flipped the switch and it's over. And I've seen it do that with many patients. It's a very good treatment. The oral medicines that'll be coming out, we'll have to see how well they work. I don't know, we don't have experience with it yet. But they seem in the studies to be very helpful. And here is, uh, there's actually two questions here from two different people, but they do, both questions involve a booster vaccination. First question is, uh, how important is it to get the booster vaccination? The question from somebody else on the same lines, they're asking about the booster, but they're also saying, uh, do they need to wear a mask at Walmart if they work at Walmart, or I guess any big box store, if they work at any big box store, if they've already had a shot and a booster? So boost, booster vaccination, bottom line, tell us about that. Okay, let me start with, uh, I received the quote booster. Booster is just a third shot. Okay, it's the same stuff. Is it in the first, second, and it's the third shot, same thing. I went ahead and, and took that. I see a lot of people with COVID and, you know, I want to do everything I can do to decrease my risk of getting sick. I recommend for people who have not had COVID and who've had a full vaccination and are at risk, either they're older or they have other things going on, to go ahead and get the third shot, the booster. The booster dose is safe. It increases your antibody levels. It increases your T-cell activity. It's something that in the right person, again, looking back at people, not at, not at a whole population, the, th the third shot is not needed for the whole population. For individuals who are specific, it's a good thing. Um, as far as wearing a mask at Walmart, if you've had COVID, I think that wearing a mask does a couple of things. One is, is it tells people that you're, you try to be careful. You know, in the world we live in today, if you cough or sneeze, what comes to people's mind initially is COVID. And so it just gives, especially customers, people who work in restaurants and service in industries, I think it gives their customers a little bit more confidence that they're not going to get infected by them. And that's probably the biggest thing it does. Medically, does it do much? No, it really doesn't but it does have a psychological effect. Now, here is an interesting question. This person asked, is there something in the vaccine that will tell, I guess through blood tests or whatnot, that you've been vaccinated? No, there is absolutely nothing in the vaccine that will tell that. What tells it, and, and it's not consistent, is whether or not you have antibodies that develop against SARS-CoV-2. Now, that's not uniform. The amount of antibodies present and whether they're even positive, you can't say for sure. That's why you, they give you the vaccination card that says you've been vaccinated and that's all they've got. There's nothing in the vaccine that they can check. And these vaccination cards, they're not high tech. I mean, no. seriously, anybody no. could make a fake one. So oh, it's well, just... they're, they're available online. Ah. You can download them. So if we get to that point where airline industry is saying, hey, you have to be vaccinated in order to fly on our flights, then we're going to run into other issues because we're going to see even more fake 
Well, and, and I think what's happening is I've heard in California they've already uh, got a state law that says that to uh, print, to download and falsify a vaccination card is a felony. So uh, that's something I would not recommend. I mean, that would be falsifying a government document no matter what. I yeah. Mean, that's, yeah. It, that's not a good thing. Right. Uh, so I guess, well, with only a minute and a half left in the show, uh, we're just going to have to wait and see what the government's next step is as far as mandating vaccinations, uh, because it seems like that's the direction we're hearing. Well, we've got the people elected that we elected, and we've got the problems that we've got. And so hopefully we can correct that. And again, talking about COVID-19, the latest study, which was out of Israel, showing that if you've had COVID-19 already, your body is going to be basically built for fighting it off, at least in the near future. For a normal person, a person with a competent immune system. Yes. So people need to do their own research before just going out and getting vaccinated. And that's true with any vaccination. Right. In the past, though, I think with a lot of the childhood vaccinations, you know, we know after millions of doses, they're very safe. Kids have been getting MMRs and tetanus shots. How many people? I mean, I have people call me all the time who get a cut and want a tetanus shot. Yeah. So. Again, Dr. Dan Rudd with us this morning talking about COVID-19, and that is going to do it for this morning's show. We'll post this podcast version of it online at WGNSRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Scott. It's been great. I hope that it's been helpful. Definitely so. Again, time right now, 9 o'clock. This is WGNS Murfreesboro.